0: You're listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Sponsored
1: by Greenberg Traurig LLP. We live now in a time where we must be on guard against fake news. I've been reading the Washington Post for as long as David Ignatius, our guest on this Global IQ Minute, has been covering national security in the Middle East, and that's over three decades. You can count on an Ignatius column to be well-sourced, timely, and candid. Quantum Spy is his tenth espionage novel, and it's a thriller. As China and the U.S. race to develop the ultimate weapon, the quantum computer. And one thing for sure, if David Ignatius found it worth writing about, you can be equally certain that our intelligence professionals see this as a real threat. Welcome. It's great to have you back in Dallas. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. Well, now, I have my degree in political science, so you're going to have to help me. What is quantum computing and why does it represent such a security threat?
0: Quantum computing is a kind of computing that, if it could be made to work, and that's still an if, would be vastly more powerful than any existing computer architecture. And the reason is that all existing computers are essentially assembled, bits that are either zero or one, gates that are either open or closed, and a quantum computer has qubits, which are zero and one at the same time, strange as that sounds. If you imagine, an analogy that's often used is a spinning coin, and as you spin it, it's heads and tails simultaneously, it's only when it's caught, when it's observed, that it's defined into one state or or the other. Qubits have that ambiguous state, which vastly multiplies the number of connections they can make, the power that they can bring (laughs) to computing. It's said that a quantum computer, again, if one could be built, that would be able essentially to explore every possible solution to a problem almost simultaneously.
1: Well, so it hasn't been built, because I've read in some places that the technology does exist. One theme that my novel explores is
0: whether there is already a technology that is in use by our intelligence agencies and also commercially that is in effect quantum computing. The technical term for it is quantum annealing. But the company called D-Wave, based in Vancouver, British Columbia, that I visited doing research for the book, has assembled 2,000 qubits together to do this annealing process. Essentially, it's a way of finding optimization solutions, the lowest minimum point, if you think topographically almost. That's how it solves problems. And it's said that for certain applications, like pattern recognition, recognizing patterns in voices or images, which obviously would be hugely important to the intelligence community, that this D-wave computer is already doing quantum-like computing. It's not programmable, so the purists say it's not actually a quantum computer. Why would it be dangerous? So the reason that a quantum computer would be powerful and would give uh, its possessor mastery over digital space is that it could essentially crack any encryption scheme that's been devised. Encryption basically involves the multiplication of prime numbers into huge numbers that you crack only by factoring them. And factoring these enormous numbers takes thousands of years, impossibly long periods of time, even given the, the strongest supercomputers that exist today. It's said a quantum computer could factor even the longest numbers, this string that's in the RSA encryption algorithm, uh, in a matter of seconds. So you so, can control infrastructure, so, so, cryptography, so everything. every coded message that's been sent, uh, every payment system that encrypts your payment history, Bitcoin, I mean, if quantum computers uh, proved to be real, uh, I would think that would have real effects on the market value of Bitcoin because you could presumably begin to unravel the algorithms even in that very complex system so it's an enormously powerful technology intelligence agencies around the world want it and the two leaders in this race to build a quantum computer are the US and China and that's the basic driver of my book. Where's Russia? Russia has superb mathematicians but it has not done as well as either the United States or China in taking that basic mathematics, basic architecture, and developing real products. The, The Russians have had to borrow that technology from the West. They make a brief appearance in this book, but I'm told that they are in no sense a player with the U.S. and China.
1: You know, we could talk for the next few minutes about your book, but what I wanted to say is I encourage everybody to get a copy, give it to your friends for Christmas. That You said once on Morning Joe, there's <laughs> 1.2 or 3 billion Chinese. Well, I'd every- love to have a Chinese readership,
0: <laughs> but I promise prospective readers that the technology, although I think it's interesting, does not intrude on the plot. It's in the background,
1: and you don't have to. Take an extra credit course. To no, s- I was a little fearful this. of that. No, I it's it's, it's, it's as good a thriller as all of your books. <laughs> but let me move to some of the issues that are on the front pages of the paper today. A few weeks ago, China's Communist Party held its 19th Congress, which gave President Xi Jinping really a mandate for the foreseeable future. And we've also seen major changes going on right now in Saudi Arabia. It strikes me that there are these similarities between President Xi and Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia. Both are consolidating power, and they're using their positions and really expressing and conveying to their populations the reasons they're taking certain actions is to eliminate, reduce, rampant corruption in both societies. Is that an accurate assessment, and are they risk eroding their power by being so aggressive?
0: Well, I think Xi Jinping is the most aggressive and effective, you'd have to say, leader in the world today. She's consolidation of power in the last five years as General Secretary of the Communist Party and as President of China has been astonishing. And he's done it by using anti-corruption campaigning as his instrument essentially of purging the party. A whole generation of leadership, both in the Communist Party and in the military, has been swept aside and Xi's people have been put in place. The numbers are astonishing. 1.5 million Communist Party members have been disciplined under Xi. 13,000 officers have been removed and essentially prosecuted for crimes under Xi. The heads of every service, virtually every four-star position in the PLA is now a Xi person. Mohammed bin Salman, this young, impulsive, headstrong, 32-year-old de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia, uh, in trying to consolidate power and trying to move Saudi Arabia into the future uh, has adopted a very She like method. He uh, rounded up 208 of the leading people in Saudi Arabia, hauled them to the Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh and held them there on still undefined Mm -hmm. charges of corruption, abuse of power. As in China, I think uh, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, as we all call him, has found whether this is effective as an anti-corruption effort, and I hope so. Saudi Arabia is way too corrupt a country. Mm -hmm. It certainly has been effective as a way of consolidating political power. Uh, He is now the unchallenged master of, of the kingdom, and he is pushing it, dragging it, Kicking it toward a future that I think, in many ways, is one that's a
1: positive. Do you expect him to be king within the next year? His dad
0: is said to be in in poor health. His dad is, I believe, 81 or 82. There are periodic rumors that he will abdicate in favor of his son. It it doesn't really matter, uh, to be honest, because all power now is effectively in the hands of the crown prince. He removed the man who was Crown Prince, Mohammed bin Nayef, who was his principal rival. So he's a phenomenon. Somebody who's been going to Saudi Arabia since first went there in 1981. Mm -hmm. This is a country that needs change. And as unattractive as some of the things that Mohammed bin Salman has done, I don't like the idea of rounding up 208 people on essentially no charges and putting them in a floor of a hotel ballroom. I do think that Saudi Arabia needs change He's taken on the religious leadership. Uh, in Which needed to be anti-corruption done. Anti-corruption drive, yeah. and he's been successful. Uh, he's announced that women are gonna drive, and there were some senior clerics who didn't like that, and he just rolled right through them. So there are a lot of aspects that I applaud. What I say to my Saudi friends, and I'd say to your listeners is, I think there are many positive things here. I just hope he doesn't blow himself up.
1: Yeah. You know, you used the word impulsive to describe him. You used that word for another president recently, mm-hmm. President Trump. Is impulsive a word you would still use?
0: Well, I think President Trump is a creature of impulse. I think he sometimes shoots or tweets, to be more precise, before he's thought through carefully the consequences. And I think that's unfortunate. I think one thing we look for in a president is measured judgment. The power of the office is awesome and we want to be confident that the person who's exercising that is a mature, thoughtful person. I'm certainly glad that he's got a Chief of Staff and General Kelly who is not impulsive and, and seems to have those qualities of judgment. As I look at President Trump, I'm troubled by the question of sometimes erratic actions. I'm also troubled by the way in which he takes the wounds in our society and in truth in our world that are trying to heal and then rips the scab off. I've seen him do that again and again most recently he just he did it today as we're speaking by retweeting videos that were disseminated that are harshly anti-muslim in tone they're in Europe and purport to describe Muslim actions of intolerance against Europeans Some, they're not verified at least in one case but whatever the provenance of these videos, it struck me that it was just again going at a wound that Europe and America are trying to heal and ripping it open in a way that I don't think does anybody any good in terms of solving problems and I fear he's doing for political advantage and I think that's, you know, I think all Americans should say, you know, yeah, politics is part of how we live but there are things we ought to be careful about and I think Religious tensions, which are real in our society, in the world, people mm-hmm. are fighting terrible, bloody wars over them. You need to be careful about other ways in which we polarize the country. You need to be careful. You ought to want us to be less divided, not more divided. That would be my wish at this holiday time of year when we try to think you know, about good thoughts about our country, about our leadership. I don't want to spend my time tonight slamming our president, but that quality worries me.
1: Well I want to thank you so much for being our guests this evening and again encourage our listeners to pick up a copy of the Quantum Spy and for those of you who are listening in Dallas Fort Worth and maybe subscribers of the Dallas Morning News, let me remind you that you can access the Washington Post online edition as a subscriber of the Dallas Morning News. And we're in the holiday spirit here at the World Affairs Council. And if you're not yet a member and you've never been a member of the World Affairs Council, please go to dfwworld.org forward slash Ignatius30 to get a 30% discount on your first year membership. Thanks so much. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk a production of
0: the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP, a global firm with 2,000 attorneys in 38 offices across the globe. Visit the firm at gtlaw.com.